Father, we love you. We thank you for this wonderful day that you've given us to come together and worship you. We thank you for what you're doing here at our church. It's such a blessing to be a part of a church that is loving one another, serving one another, and doing its best to grow in its knowledge and understanding of you. Lord, I thank you for the many that went out yesterday to help be a blessing to see a new church started. And I thank you for the part that's been had already through the physical labor, through the prayers. Lord, we thank you for the souls that you saved yesterday and this week. Lord, we thank you for the wonderful week at camp our juniors had. And Lord, we look forward to celebrating what you did in their lives and being able to encourage them and help them continue to grow in their faith. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in providing for our needs here at our church and and continuing to provide even financially so we can continue the work that you have for us to do. Lord, we thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. We thank you that we can sing of the wonderful truth that we just did. To God be the glory, great things he hath done. Lord, thank you for all that you've done, all that you are doing. And we look forward to what you will do. Lord, we know your work is not finished here yet. We know what Jesus did on the cross finished your work of salvation. But Lord, you're still working in hearts and people are still being saved. I'm thankful that the gospel still works. Pray that you'd bless our service this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Freddie's going to come and read to us from Nehemiah this morning. And uh, Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. You come do that now. And it came to pass in the month Nisan, in the twentieth year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid, and said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad? When the city, the palace of my father's sepulchres, lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire. Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? So I prayed to God of heaven. And I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldst send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchres, that I may build it. And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, For how long shall thy journey be, and when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Moreover, I said unto the king, If it please the king, let letters be given given me to the governors beyond the river, that they may convey me over till I come into Judah. And a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timbers to make beams for the gates of the palace which appertained to the house, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted me, according to the good hand of my God upon me. Let's take our Bibles, turn to Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 2. I know we had a lot of other things this morning, and uh, but I want us to make sure that uh, we can focus in here for a few minutes on God's Word. We started out a couple weeks ago looking at the book of Nehemiah. We looked at Nehemiah chapter 1 as Nehemiah hears the news from his home, home city. That Jerusalem, the gates are burned with fire, that the walls are broken down, that the city is without defense. And this awful news drives Nehemiah to tears. He's upset. He's very sad about it, but instead of just... Uh, staying upset without doing anything about it, he begins to pray. And in chapter 1, we read of Nehemiah's wonderful prayer to God as he cries out to God and acknowledges God's power, God's ability to do the work that needs to be done. He asks God to give him wisdom, to give him strength, to provide what he needs. And then he makes that wonderful statement at the end of chapter 1, For I was the king's cupbearer. And he's making that statement like, I am here where God has put me. And we thought about that at the end a couple weeks ago, that where God has us right now is where God wants us. Now, it doesn't mean that's where God's going to leave us, but it's where He wants us right now. Whether we're in the position we are right now because we've done wrong, 
And, and we've made some bad choices, and God's put us there, allowed us to be there because of our bad choices so we can learn some things. Or we're where we're at right now because God is teaching us something or wants to te- have us teach somebody else something. Those are all wonderful things. But as we get into Nehemiah chapter 2, I want you to notice right there in verse 1, it says, It came to pass in the month Nisan. Now, if you remember from chapter 1, it starts out, And it came to pass in the month Chislu. There's about four months that have gone by here. So Nehemiah hears about the problem. He's been praying. He's been asking God to do a work. And four months have gone by. Humanly speaking, nothing has happened. Just the passage of time. I don't know about you, but I like things to happen right away. If I'm praying for God to heal somebody, I want to see him healed right now. If I have a need, a financial need, I want to see it met right away. If I have a problem, I want to see God fix it immediately. But did God fix Nehemiah's problem immediately? No, he didn't. Four months has gone by. But what has Nehemiah been doing during this four months? I think this is very important for us as we think about this passage of Scripture. Because during this four months, it is very clear, and you'll see over the next few verses, it's very clear that Nehemiah has continued in prayer. Let's keep reading. It says, In the month Nisan, in the twelfth year of Artaxerxes the king, the wine was before him, and I took up the wine, and I gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. You say, why, that, why is that important? Well, in this day and age, as he is there serving the Persian king, Artaxerxes, to show sadness in his presence was a was a crime punishable by death. You didn't come before the king sad. You were joyful because it was the greatest thing, or supposed to be, the greatest thing in all the world to have the privilege to serve the king. And so if anything else is making you sad, then clearly you're not as interested in serving the king as you should be. So this is where Nehemiah is at. He's so moved by the problems of his city and the walls broken down and the city without protection that he said, even in the king's presence, verse 2, wherefore the king said unto me, why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? How do you think the king knew he wasn't sick? Well, Nehemiah was the king's cupbearer. Thereby he would be tasting the king's food before the king tasted it. So if Nehemiah was sick, he would have passed those germs on to the king. So he had to make sure he wasn't sick or he would not be doing his job. He says, you're not sick, so why are you sad? He said, this is nothing else but sorrow of heart. And you see Nehemiah's statement, then I was very sore afraid. And said unto the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, lieth waste? And the gates thereof are consumed with fire. See, Nehemiah shares his concern with the king. But it's interesting to notice in his concern, he doesn't say what city it is. The king would have known that. Because, in fact, if you go back to the book of Ezra, you'll read about the fact that the king, this same king, had actually put a stop to the rebuilding efforts of Jerusalem. And so now Nehemiah is coming back to the king and wanting the rebuilding efforts to start up again. So it's as if he's coming back to the king to ask him to reverse his previous decision. This is a scary place for Nehemiah to be. And Nehemiah is very afraid, as it says here. And, and I think it's interesting, when he appeals to the, to the king, he appeals with wisdom. He, he says, well, why shouldn't I be sad? He says, the city, the place of my father's sepulchers, lieth waste, and the gates are thereof are consumed with fire. He appeals to the king's sense of honor and respect. This king would have had a respect for the dead, would have a respect for their graves, And so he's saying to the king, King, this is the place of my father's graves. Their graves are in ruin. No one is taking care of those things. I think Nehemiah is very wise in his statement to the king. 
It's a good lesson to be learned. It's not the focus of the message this morning. But it's always important, no matter what situation we face, that we approach it with wisdom, that we answer with our words, as the Bible says in Proverbs, a word fitly spoken. It's like apples of gold and pictures of silver, that our words should be careful how we choose them and what we say. But then it says in verse 4, The king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? And I think this is probably the shortest prayer in all the Bible right here. It's so short, in fact, we don't even know what he said. It says here, So I prayed to the God of heaven. I mean, if you're reading this as a conversation between Nehemiah and the king, Nehemiah comes in, he's serving the king, he looks sad that day, the king looks at him, he says, why are you sad? Nehemiah responds, he says, well, why shouldn't I be sad? My, the city, my place of birth is burnt, or well, not his place of birth, but my ancestor's place is burnt with fire, the gates are destroyed. The king says, so what's your request? So I prayed to the Lord, and then he makes his request. It's so quick, it's almost as if this prayer must have happened in between two sentences that were spoken. I think this is an encouraging note for us. Because we see, first of all, this morning, this is the, one of the big points I want you to get this morning, that God works through people who have prepared hearts. See, Nehemiah was able to pray this quick prayer that we don't even know exactly what he said. It was as if he just really quickly maybe said, God, help me or Lord, I need you, or, or something to that effect. He's able to have that kind of quick, immediate conversation with God because Nehemiah is a man who walked with God. He's a man who, when you read back in chapter 1, had spent lots and lots of time praying detailed, thoughtful, focused prayers to God. He was a man who had a personal relationship with God who understand, understood God's character, understood what God was like, understood the truth about who God was. This was a man who, who his heart was prepared. He had this close relationship with God. Think about it. In your human relationships, in a marriage relationship, your relationship with your children, even your relationship with your boss at work, if the only conversations you had were quick one or two word uh, you know, back and forth type of conversations, it wouldn't be a very good relationship, would it? Hey, make me some food. You know, take out the trash. Clean up after the dog. You know, those kind of things, your relationship would very quickly die, wouldn't it? But in any kind of relationship, are there those times when you need to be able to say something quickly? Come here. Can you grab that? Can you pick that up for me? Help me, come, follow. You know, we have those quick conversations. But those kind of quick conversations are based upon or should be based upon in a good, strong, loving relationship because there's been lots and lots of other deep communication and conversation going on. So when it's time for the quick, hey, come here, do this, do that, it's much easier to respond because it's based in a deep relationship. See, Nehemiah's prayer is not detailed out for us again in chapter 2 because we already saw it in chapter 1. We see that this is a man who's been praying, who's been walking with God. His heart is prepared. And when God gives him the opportunity, remember, he was the king's cupbearer. He knew he was in a position where he just might have an opportunity to speak to the king. He'd been praying for four months that God would allow him to do this. You see the prayer back in chapter 1. And now is the moment. God has prepared it. God has put it in place. Have you ever thought about in your life that everything you go through, all the difficulties, all the high times, the great times, the bad times, you know, the moving from here to there, the relationships, the people you meet, God might just be preparing you to put you in one place at one time to do one thing for Him. Amen. Nehemiah is coming to this point right here in his life. This is going to be a point of change in Nehemiah's life. He's going to go from being the king's cupbearer to in just a few verses, he's headed out with a whole crowd of people to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. This momentous, dynamic change happened in just an instant of time. 
But that instant of time had been prepared for, for months for sure, and probably for a lifetime, because God was putting Nehemiah where he wanted him to be. Nehemiah was focused on his relationship with God. So that when the time came and God put him in front of the king on the right day, when the king was ready to talk to him, the king didn't kill him for having a sad face. The king cared enough to want to hear what needed to be done. God put him right there at that moment, in that time. Nehemiah's heart is prepared. So when it's time, Nehemiah is ready to do what God wants him to do. Have you ever thought that God may be doing that in your life? I think it's interesting when you study the Bible characters, especially those in the Old Testament, many of them we don't know a whole lot about. But we often see one or two big events in their life that kind of everything else centers around. And if you were to think about that in the context of your own life, that's kind of how it works, isn't it? You go to work, come home, clean the house. <laughs> Take care of things, do the laundry, do the dishes, go grocery shopping, go to the bank, take some money out so you can go buy things, so you can eat, so you can go back to work, so you can put more money in the bank, so you can take money. You know, it just kind of feels like this circle that we're on. What am I doing? Why am I here? Does this even matter? And then bad stuff will come along. We'll get sick. All of a sudden, somebody will treat us wrong. Something bad will come along and things seem to break down and that, that sort of engine of life, that cycle, all of a sudden breaks. And what do we do? God puts us in the place where He wants us to do the work that He wants us to do. But we see God doing a work in a man whose heart was prepared because he had a daily faithful walk with the Lord. I would just encourage you, no matter where you are, remember, God has you there for a purpose. But don't stop preparing your heart. Don't stop walking with the Lord. Don't stop developing your relationship with Him. Because God may just be preparing you for the moment. There may be lots of moments, I understand that. But even if my whole life existed because God just wanted to do one thing with me, wouldn't that be enough? It absolutely would. Thankful that God uses us many times for many, many, many things. But here was Nehemiah. He's prepared. The Bible says in Psalm 37, 23, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. God upholds those, He strengthens those who are following Him. Romans 8.28, you might know it. If you do, you can say it with me. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. See, those things working together for good are those who are loving God, those who are following His purposes. And this is Nehemiah. His heart is prepared. But I want you to keep going on with me in this passage, because not only was Nehemiah's heart prepared, he had prepared his life. He had a plan. And I think it's very interesting that we read about Nehemiah's plan here in the next few verses. So the king has asked him, he says, you're sad, what's wrong? Nehemiah says, I'm, I'm sad because the city's burnt with fire. The king says, so what's your request? End of verse 4. So Nehemiah prays to the God of heaven. So pick it up in verse 5. And I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchres, he refers to that again, that I may build it. And the king said unto me, For the queen also sitting by him, it's an interesting phrase, by the way, because the queen wouldn't have always been there in all the meetings. But if you look at the timeline, things going on, there's a very good possibility. She's not named here, but a good possibility, possibility this is Queen Esther. So the queen's sitting there, and that, that's a whole other thing to think about. You can study on that later. But he says, For how long shall thy journey be, and when wilt thou return? These are very important questions that the king wants to have answers to. Because the king is sending one of his most trusted people out. And he's saying, how long are you going to be gone? When are you going to return? 
So it pleased the king to send me, Nehemiah said, and I set him a time. This is a man who had a plan. In those four months as he's praying, he's also planning. He's saying, if God would allow me to do this, God has already put me in the place of being in front of the king every day as his cupbearer, so perhaps God might allow me to do a work for him, so I'm going to have a plan. I'm going to be ready to go if God opens the door. I mean, this is what's happening here, because when the king says, how long is it going to take you? When are you going to come back? He says, this is how long it's going to take me. This is when I'm going to be back. He doesn't stop there, though, with his plan. Look at verse 7. Moreover, I said unto the king, If it please the king, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river, that they may convey me over till I come into Judah. Not only did he know how long it was going to take him, but he knew who the key people were that he needed letters of introduction to so that when he went through, they would grant him safe passage. This is a man who understood the political landscape of his, of his day. This is a man who understood what was going on in the world around him. This was not some, as some Christians would like to do, they just say, oh, there's awful problems in the world, and they go hide in a hole somewhere and say, let me just hang on till Jesus comes back. No, this is a man who says, there's problems. I, if God would allow me, I'm going to do something about it. I have a plan. Here's how long it's going to take. And I know what's going on in the world around me, so I'm prepared to do it if God would allow it to be done. He said, these are the people that I need letters of introduction to. And then you see in verse 8, he says, and a letter unto Asaph. Now, Asaph is a Jewish name. So this was to a man who was the keeper of the king's forest. So like today, people own tracts of land that have trees on them. So back then, the king owned all the trees. So if you wanted wood, you didn't go down to Home Depot or Ace Hardware. You had to go to the king and get a letter of introduction to Asaph. And you would go to Asaph and, you would say, and on the letter it would say, here's how much wood it's okay for this guy to cut down. And then he would allow you to go into his forest and cut down that much wood and take it to be used for your project. Kind of interesting process. So they didn't have POs back then, like we do today, purchase orders. Instead, they had, you know, Asaph orders. They had to go to him from the king to get wood. He says that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace, which appertain to the wall, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall enter into. Nehemiah said, here's how much lumber I need, here's how much time I need, and here's the people that I need to accomplish this project. This was a man who had prepared his life to do God's work. He's asking the king, he says, king, send me, I will build it. Here's how long it'll take, here's when I will return, here's the permissions that I need, here's the materials that I need. And then you see at the end of verse 8, he says, and the king granted me. That's a personal thing. The king gave it to me. But notice he's not taking credit for this because he says, according to the good hand of my God upon me. You see a man who's prepared his life for God to use him. I want to challenge you about that this morning. Again, if the place you're in right now it doesn't feel like you're accomplishing a whole lot. God's preparing you to do His work. Allow Him to do that and keep preparing yourself. Keep putting together, God, if you'd allow me to do this, you've, you've given me a dream about this, you've given me a desire to do this, I don't have the wherewithal to do it right now. But I'm going to be prepared, so if you give me the opportunity, I'm going to do it. I mean, he had planned, he had prepared, he put a whole plan together, not knowing if he'd ever get to use his plan. You say, did he waste his time? Well, no, God provided it all. But see, you've got to put yourself in Nehemiah's shoes. We like to be in the position of reading the whole story. We know the end of the story. We know what happens, and it's always a good ending. Or so we think. But the reality is, Nehemiah is going through life just like we do every day. 
hard things, difficult things, problems. He's far away from his homeland. He's away from the place where he would have connections. You know, he's, he's burdened with these problems. His brothers are back there trying to rebuild the walls. They've been stopped. You know, the king has put a stop to it. it it's just problem everywhere he turns. It's like he can't make any progress. And all he has, every day, I've got to keep serving the same king as wine and his food. And this king, if he'd just get out of the way, we could get done what really needed to be done. Sometimes that's how we feel about life, isn't it? Hey, if this one person just didn't cause these problems for me, if they would just get out of the way, or if I just had this much money, or if I just lived in this place, or if I just had this job, if I just had this, then I could do something. Folks, that may be true. But what is also true is you can be preparing yourself right now because God just might put you in that place someday. But for many people, they may never get to experience that place because they haven't prepared their life right now. Why would God put you in the position where all of a sudden, here's your moment, now's when you get to make the request to the king. Well, I haven't prayed. I don't have any walk with God. I don't have a plan. I don't have a clue. Why would God do that? Prepare yourself. Walk with God. Trust Him. Because if God leaves you there just serving the guy the food for the rest of your life, and that's all you do, that's not all God's doing. God is still doing His work. And I think we see in this story, God has the power to do anything He wants whenever He wants to do it. God can take a wicked pagan king and turn his heart so now the king himself is paying to rebuild the walls of the city that once defied the king. Why would the king allow him to rebuild the walls? I mean, these cities, would, they'd build their walls and then they'd put up guards and they, and they would stop paying tribute and say, well, come attack us then. I mean, this is like, it's counterintuitive for this king to do this. Why would he do something that doesn't make sense? The king's hand is in the heart of the Lord. He turneth it whithersoever he will. God can do what he wants to do when he wants to do it. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We can take this and make an application even when it comes to sharing the gospel and telling people about Jesus. Say, well, I've shared the gospel with them a hundred times. They don't care. They're never going to listen. Keep sharing the gospel. Because that's what God's told us to do. You and I don't save people. We just tell people how they can be saved. Let God do the work in their heart. When it's time, when they're ready, God will do the work that needs to be done. When it needs to be done. I've got to keep moving this morning. But I want you to notice, and I've already kind of talked about it, but I want to highlight this. God's working through Nehemiah because he has a prepared heart. God's working through Nehemiah because he has a prepared life. But we see thirdly, God's working through Nehemiah because he's presently serving. He didn't stop serving in the place where God had him. Well, I'm going to stop serving this king. This king is the problem. I'm going to stop doing my job. No, he just kept doing it. God's put you in a place. Just keep serving where you are. Keep serving where you are. I've shared this with several people, but I want to share it again quickly this morning. One of the passages of Scripture that God used on my heart when we came to start this church and how exciting now to think that God's allowing us to be part of starting another church. And this just feels really big and really beyond my abilities and my understanding. In 1 Samuel 14... There's this awful battle going on. The Philistines, these were the enemies of the Israelites. They had come and they had run the Israelites. I mean, they, they were just destroying them. They had set up garrisons in Israel. That'd be like some foreign country. It'd be like Iran coming over here and setting up outposts. You know, imagine if there was a fort down the road and it was full of Iranian soldiers. How would you feel about that? And they were coming out to make you pay tribute. Everybody's afraid of them. Hey, this wasn't, there was no battle going on really at this point. They had won. Saul and his armies were hiding under the trees waiting for God to do something. And Jonathan, Saul's son, says to his armor bearer, 
Let us go up against the Philistine garrison. It's two guys against an entire garrison. We don't know for sure how many people were in there, but there was a, a lot of men, probably over 100 men. Oh, and by the way, the garrison wasn't just down the street. It was up in a high place between two uh, rocks. I, I put it in modern vernacular. They were between a rock and a hard place. It was up a narrow passageway through the rocks, uphill, very steep. In fact, the Bible says when they went up there, they had to climb on their hands and knees to get there. That's not a good fighting posture, by the way. Up through a narrow gap on your hands and knees when you're fighting with swords and spears. And yet, Jonathan says to his arm bearer, he's, it's, like, it's like Nehemiah, he sees a problem. He knows that this is contrary to what God would want. Just like when we look around, we say, there are souls dying and going to hell. That's not what God wants. But I can't do anything about it. I don't have the money, the resources, the time, the ability, whatever. But Jonathan says to his armor bearer, he says, The Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. God doesn't need a big army to do his work. He just needs somebody to be faithful. Somebody to step out by faith and trust Him. And then he finishes his statement to his arm bearer. He says, it may be the Lord will work for us. That key, that, those words are very jumped out at me. It may be. Jonathan didn't know that God would do it, but he knew that God could do it. And in our life, often we stay in fear because we say, well, I just don't know what God's going to do. Live as though God could do it. Whether or not God decides to do it is up to God. Because His plan is better than our plan. We see things, we say, well, if God would only do it this way, then everything would work out right. That is so foolish. That is so backwards. Because that's saying, I know better than God. And if God would just get His act together, then everything would work together just fine. No, God has all the power. God can do whatever He wants, whenever He wants. And it's not just this... He's not just a loose cannon kind of power. No, He's a good God. He's a merciful God. He's a loving God. And He wants to work it together for good. No good thing will I withhold from them that walk uprightly, the Lord says. So, Nehemiah here, he takes a step of faith. He's prepared his heart. He's prepared his life. He's presently serving In fact, there's a wonderful comparison back here to chapter 1 and verse 11. In his prayer to the Lord, he says, O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant, to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name. And prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day. Grant him mercy in the sight of this man. For I was the king's cupbearer. Did you notice he was praying that God would help him that day? Did God help him that day? No, it's four months later. Do you think maybe he prayed that prayer every day for four months? We don't know for certain. The Bible doesn't say. But it does seem, though, we have a man who's walking faithfully with the Lord. And when God puts him in that day, and when it's time, he's prayed for God to bless, for God to provide. And in verse 8, he gives the glory to God. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. That's our final point this morning. God works through people who give the glory to Him. If you're out for your own praise and for your own glory and say, look what I did and look how great I am, just pack it up and go home. Because that's not what God is about. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. You might say, well, that sounds selfish of God. It's not selfish because He deserves it. It would be selfish for you or me to desire that glory because we don't deserve any glory. I have nothing to glory in save in the cross of Jesus Christ. I have nothing to glory in of myself. 
Jesus was asked this question, you know, and he answered talking about who's good. Jesus said, there's none good but God. We tend to think too highly of ourselves. Look at me, look what I can do, look, look what I've done. No, anything I've done is because God's done it. Nehemiah is careful to give God the glory here. I love it because we see again this man who has a personal relationship with God. He says, according to the good hand. He knew what kind of hand God had. God had a good hand. And he says, of my God. This isn't Israel's God at this point. This isn't his father's God at this point. This is his God. Do you know your God do you give your God glory for what He does? This morning, if you're here and you know about God, but if you were honest, while you might claim Him, you would have to say, really, He's more someone else's God. That's not enough for you this morning. It's not enough for me to just be serving God because that's what my parents did. Or because what I was taught in school. Or because, well, that's his job. He's a pastor, so <laughs> what he has to do. No, I want God to be my God. You know, that's what God desired with the children of Israel from the very beginning. When he made those promises to Abraham, later on he says that I will be your God and you will be my people. See, that relationship, though, over and over was broken because of the idolatry of the Israelites. They would follow other gods. So God would bring them to a place of judgment, difficulty, where once again they would turn back to Him. That's why Nehemiah was where he was in the first place, because it was the sin of the children of Israel. That's why they weren't in Jerusalem and he was in Persia. But Nehemiah, even in the dark place and the hard things because of sinful choices of other people, he still says, no, he's going to be my God. Personal relationship with him. That relationship was broken because of the sin of mankind. But aren't you thankful our Heavenly Father sent Jesus Christ, his Son, to die on the cross for our, in our place. God in human flesh come to die and pay for our sin. Then he rose again the third day so that we might have that relationship with him once again. He can be your God. Will you give him the glory for what he does? As we close out the service this morning, I just, there's so many things, so many personal applications that we could take for this in our own lives. Thinking about what our personal relationship is like with God. What is your relationship like with the Lord? If you needed God in a moment, could you pray like Nehemiah prayed and expect God to hear you? You can if you're the person who carries a wonderful, close relationship with the Lord. How, why can you expect that? Well, can God even hear the quick prayers? Sure He can. But when you've spent the long time in prayer, when you have that relationship with Him over a long time, you'll come to expect Him to answer your prayers because you're used to Him doing it on a regular basis. When you develop that relationship, you're, you're expecting him to answer because you've talked to him so long anyway. He's already answered lots of things in the past, so why wouldn't he answer this prayer? How's your relationship with God? How's your life? Wherever you're at, are you preparing yourself to continue to walk with the Lord, to put the plan together if God would have you do something for him? What are you doing to walk by faith? Are you still serving right here where you're at, where God has you here today? God put you here for a reason. Serve Him right now. Don't hold back and say, well, someday, then I'll do it. Once I figure it all out, then I'll do it. No, do what you know to do is right, right now. And then you can learn all the rest of the things as you keep doing what's right right now. My, my children don't know everything in the world, but they know children obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. They can do that. And they'll learn those other things as they continue to grow. And you can do that same thing in your life. And then will you give the glory to the Lord? I want to give the glory to God this morning for some wonderful things. You saw the boys and girls sing this morning from junior camp. I'm praising the Lord for God at work in their hearts. 
I'm praising the Lord this morning for souls that were saved this week at junior camp. Boys and girls that trusted in Jesus for salvation. I'm praising the Lord for people who were saved in our church services even over the last several weeks. What wonderful things God is doing. And people that I know, you say, well, I haven't seen them every Sunday since then. But I know people are reaching out to them. People are starting discipleship with them. People that are beginning to help them grow in their faith. New babies take time to grow. You've got to help them along the way. Don't expect them to be perfect overnight, have all their life worked out. They may have moved all kinds of things around on their schedule just to be here on one Sunday. Helping them then to be able to do that on a consistent basis takes time. Let's help them grow. That's why we disciple people. Praise the Lord for what He's doing in saving people, people being discipled. Praise the Lord for a wonderful friend day a few weeks ago, a wonderful youth outreach a month ago for teen camp, for junior camp. God's doing wonderful things. Praise the Lord for people just growing on a weekly basis right here in our church. And praise the Lord for yesterday. I haven't been doing this a really long time. Some of you have been at it longer than I have. I've never been to something where five people from five different churches got together to go help start a new church. All on the same day to go out in the hot heat to do that. Maybe some of you have. I haven't. That was special for me yesterday. I've got a picture here of our group gathered up here in this building yesterday morning. Some of you in that picture. Some of you couldn't come, but several people already told me, Pastor, I couldn't come, but we prayed. Thank you for your prayers. We can't see you physically in that picture, but the Holy Spirit's there too. He's in you too. He was doing His work yesterday. Some of you served behind the scenes in other places. You're not in that picture, but you were still involved in what took place in that picture. And that was just us sitting and talking ahead of time. Then we went out. Somebody came to Christ yesterday. Praise the Lord for that. There were several people saved this past week for this new church. Praise the Lord for that. Last Sunday when David was here, I I really felt like God was working in our hearts. Maybe you would disagree with me, but I, I think it was a special day because I think people in our church were catching the vision of, hey, this has been exciting here. What could God do down there? Maybe we could be a part of that. Many of you have already been praying. Many of you came out yesterday. I've asked you to be praying about what we could do to give to help him. Our church got to meet a very special need in the Crips' life last week. We had tremendous giving last Sunday. So our church was able to give them $2,500 last Sunday. Can you believe that? $2,500 is more than we get a lot of weeks in the whole offering. Last week, God blessed us abundantly. And we, we had more, and I said, well, when God blesses us, that means we get to be a blessing to other people, right? We're not here to hold on to it. We're not here to save up all the money and just walk around and say, look, all this money we're carrying around. Isn't this great? Look at our bank account. Isn't this great? That's not why we're here. We're here to give it into the Lord's work. We're just channels. David called me the next week, or this past week, and he said, thank you so much for that love offering Sunday. I said, well, that's the Lord. He said, I was praying. We had some very specific financial needs and we were praying and God provided the amount that we needed to take care of the things we had coming up. They're doing this Bible study Tuesday night. I'm excited. There's a few people going to go down there that we know because we want to be a part of it. We're excited about that. And here's here's the problem, the human problem. God is moving this church together quicker than we expected. See, David had a plan, just like Nehemiah had a plan. And he shared that with us last Sunday. If you saw it on his slide, it said, October of 2020, we're going to start the service for the new church. Here's the problem. It's a good problem, but it's a problem. He may already have a church ready to go on Tuesday. And if you checked your calendar, it's a long time to October 2020. It's not a long time, but it is a long time. I, I, I want our church to be a part of helping him. If God would put a group of people there, and, and, and it's very clear, he can't wait a year. 
He needs to go right now. I want our church to be a big part of helping them make that financially possible. Because he's not a wealthy guy. He works as, an, as a youth pastor at another church right now. And they're trying to end his salary so they can hire a new youth pastor, so, you know, because they need to do their things too. They're already supporting him. I want us to do that as well. So I said this to a few people, and I just want to ask you what you could do as well. And at the end of the service, we're going to do this this morning. Maybe, and, and we're only planning initially to take them on for two years because we hope that they could get to where they're financially stable by then. If they're not, we'll reevaluate. We're not going to just cut them off because sometimes it takes longer than that. It might take a lot longer than that, but, but we just want to help them at least get started. So if you would, think about what you could give for the next two years. Maybe, and this is a collective effort for a whole church, so maybe you could give a dollar a month. I think probably all of us could figure out a way somehow to find a dollar a month, maybe. If you can't, give a quarter. Find, find something. If you can give $5 a month, or 10 or 20 or maybe somebody says, we're giving even more than that. Here's how we do this to help a church, because I want you to understand this is all God's money anyway. We're stewards of it. You say, well, what would happen if our church pledged... These are questions you get sometimes. What would happen if we pledged $10,000 a month? That's more than he needs. What, what would we do with that? Well, first of all, that's really nice that you ask, but if you're asking that, it's probably because you don't want to give as much as you can. <laughs> it's probably because you want to give less. But if God gives more than is needed, that just opens up more additional opportunities to help him. As a church helps another church, what we do is we meet with them, we make sure we know what they need, where the money's going, that it's being used wisely. Amen. And then we, then we give it to them on a monthly basis so that they're able to use it to take care of their needs. If they have a bigger project coming up, then we might try to give towards a bigger project. But in some ways, if you just dumped a big pile of money on somebody who doesn't have a church yet, you could cause him more trouble than help. So you give it to them as, as they need it and as they're going through things so that they can continue to go through things. So if God would bless and people would say, well, we're going to give a lot more, then that just allows us to look at some additional opportunities. In the month of August, we have some men flying down here from the city of Milwaukee. And we have an opportunity to help them plant five churches in inner city Milwaukee. I'm going to ask you the same question that a little old lady asked me in our church in Indiana. How's our little church supposed to help start another church? We're just, we're just, we're just trying to get going as we are. And I said, it's because we don't start churches. God starts churches and God builds churches. We're just doing the work that he has us do. So if God provides, God does it. It may be the Lord will work for us today. So as we give, even at the end of the service, we're going to have an invitation here, but your heart needs to be to serve the Lord, first of all. If God hasn't given to you to be able to give in this, don't give. Pray. Because you can't. You can only give what God gives you, because it's all His anyway. But if God has allowed you to do something, you say, I'd like to do a little bit extra for them. When you get your, um, you can either do it on a connection card or an offering envelope this morning, write it down. Put it on there. Put, put your name and what you could do monthly. And that's just... A, a, a promise to God do the best that you can you only give it as God provides and then let's just see what God might do after Tuesday we'll know better of where things are with this but I had calls from multiple people this week they said pastor this is exciting this new church is getting going but they're going to need money and where are they going to get it from well we may not be able to do it 100% but maybe we could do something wouldn't it be great if I'd call them and say hey our church is pledged to do $200 a month or $500 a month or whatever we can do collectively. Maybe we could do more, though. Let's do what God would have us to do. And let's give Him the glory. Because we can put our best plans together, but unless He does the work, all the money in the world won't build a church. All the people in the world won't build a church. Only God can build a church. But God uses people and he uses money to do his work because it's all his anyway. So pray and see what the Lord would have you do. If you're not prepared to do that today, you can do it next week. It'll be fine.
But I'd love to be able to call them this week and say, here's what the Lord did today. Here's what we're going to do. So you might give it as a chunk. If you pledged a dollar a month for the next two years, you've just pledged $24. So you can give it all at once. You can give it every month. However the Lord provides for you to do that. If it's $20 a month for you, that's $240. Or I'm sorry, $480 over the next two years. So you can give it all at once, and we'll just divvy it out to them as, as, as we can monthly and help them that way. Whatever needs to be done, we just want to be a blessing to them. But I want to ask you, don't, don't lose the focus of the personal application of this message this morning. This message this morning isn't primarily about building churches. It's not primarily this morning about even supporting another missionary someplace else. It's really about your own personal relationship with God, that He's your God, that you're going to give a glory to Him, that you're going to walk with Him. If your relationship with God isn't what it needs to be, maybe you're here this morning and you say, I've never trusted in Jesus. I need to do that. Just a minute when the piano plays, come. I'd like to take you, take God's Word, have somebody show you what it means to know Jesus as your Savior. If you're here this morning and you say, I know that, but I'm not doing what God wants me to do. I'm confused. I'm discouraged. I'm frustrated where I'm at spiritually. I'd love to pray with you this morning. And not just pray words, but ask God to really help. And then connect you with somebody else in our church that could help you. Either me or somebody else that could help you study God's word, grow closer to God, and learn to walk with him by faith. And trust him to provide whatever it is that your need may be. Would you stand with me this morning as the pianist comes? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Let's pray. Father, help us. We've had so much this morning. Lord, we're clearly in a place where, at least for me, I, I'm struggling to keep it all in because there's so many exciting things going on. Lord, we need your wisdom. We need your direction. We need your provision. Lord, you, you blessed through this work that, de, or, or that James got to be a part of down in the Dominican Republic. Thank you for the souls that were saved down there. Thank you for the churches that were encouraged. Lord, you blessed through the camp this past week and even the week before that. Thank you for these dear boys and girls and the work that you did in their hearts. Lord, you blessed through our outreach ministries over the last several weeks. We've seen souls saved Really, almost every week, Lord, you've blessed. You've brought new people into our church. You've blessed. We've been able to be a part of helping to start another church. And Lord, now we're praying about how you would bless us to be able to give, even financially, to help this church. Lord, we realize that all these blessings come from you. and We thank you and we praise you for doing it. Lord, I pray that we would be faithful to serve you when we see all these blessings, or even when we don't see them. Because God, you're good at all times. You're good when we feel it and see it and experience it, and you're good even when we don't. Help us to be faithful. Lord, I pray for those this morning who may be hurting, struggling, financial needs, physical needs, family problems. Lord, you know it. They know it. Pray that they'd walk with you and trust you. Pray that we could gain some encouragement from Nehemiah and his life, and the struggles that he went through, that we would go forth and continue to follow you day by day, trusting you for even the smallest things for you to provide. We love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's keep our heads bowed and eyes closed. Folks, respond as God leads you as the piano plays. <laughs>